Continuing, I'm almost done with this sermon series. Some of you are like, yay, finally. Some of you are like, oh, this has been good stuff. Let me tell you this, okay? God has a plan for your life, okay? It's not just to go to work, pay bills, pay taxes, have a nice little retirement, and die and go to heaven. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. God has called you where you live, where you work, where you go to school, who you contact, to change their world by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And specifically, I'm not a doomsday prophet, and I get plenty of emails and letters and people telling me that the end of the world is coming. If you read the Bible, that's duh. It's duh. The world is going to end one day. But we need to prepare for when things get tougher. Okay? I, I, get, I, do, I get emails every few weeks that the economy is going to crash and, and blah, 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 and everything's going to crash. You know what? Things have crashed and rebuilt and gone all. And, but you need to be ready for the good times and the bad times. Amen? And so what I'm preaching, this series has been get ready for the good times and the bad times. And specifically, God had told Pharaoh that there was going to be a a famine in the land. And he wanted them to be ready. God cared. God has a plan to feed all the people in the world. Do you know that? And so he gave the plan to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh didn't understand that. So he had to get a godly person. And Joseph had the plan and and interpreted it and told him. And then God used them. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. God has a plan to save this world. God has a plan to feed every hungry person. I'm talking physical food. He wants to feed every person in this world, but He's looking for people that are going to be available to say, God, help me be a good steward. Help me to direct resources to these people. Amen? So we're talking about the prosperity test this morning. Let me read this to you. Luke 16, 10-12. You see it up here? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be also dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you? Check this out. With true riches. Do you see that? There's a difference between worldly wealth and true riches. Do you see that? And it says then, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Father, now, open our eyes and our spirit to the Word today that's going to be preached. Let me preach with your anointing, with your power. I am your vessel. But I pray that our heart's soil is ready to receive the Word so that it grows a hundredfold, sixtyfold, fortyfold. And speak this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Alright, so, we're going to turn to Genesis 41 in a minute. So get your Bible turned there. We're going to read that. Life is about stewardship. We talked about the power test. Now we're talking about the prosperity test, Okay. The power test deals with character, and so does dealing with things, money, resources. It also deals with character. And money is just another way that God can use us to take care of your family, your individual life, your church, your community, and the world. And today, if we listen with our heart, our mind, our soul, and our spirit, we're going to learn how to not only go through the prosperity test, but to pass it so we can be prosperous for other nations. Are you ready? All right, so we'll we'll read Genesis 41 in a moment. Number one, it says the prosperity test. Test using money wisely, okay? Using money wisely. Every one of us have access to money one way or the other. Now, some of you say, Pastor, I have no money at all, okay? But every one of us in the world, we need money to live, right? How many of you like to eat? Okay, unless you grow a garden or have cattle and chickens on your property, it costs you money to eat, is that correct? Unless you're stealing from your neighbor or something like that, I mean, it costs money to eat, okay? Right? So, here's the thing. God wants to feed every person in the world. God wants to take care of every person in the world. The question that we have is, do we use what God has given us, our our time, our resources, our money, 
to further His purpose and take care of our family and our lives, or do we waste it? Do we just buy just junk and spend money? And then we say, I don't have any money, God, but we're wasting money on this and that and this and that. We're saying, I don't have any money. That's the prosperity test. He gives you money and He says, here, take care of your family, take care of your needs, take care of the world, and then if we're always just blowing on everything and everything... How many of you like Starbucks coffee? Some of you, some of you are like, I'm not putting my hand up, okay? Think about this. If you spent $8 a day on Starbucks coffee for five days a week, how much money is that in a week? How much? Okay, now what's $40 times 52 weeks? How much? How much? It got really quiet. What was it? $2,080. You want to give yourself a $2,080 raise? Mm-hmm. I don't have any money. I, I can't afford I, you know, I don't have any money, God. I have to, I have to buy this coffee from, from the grocery store. I love it, the grocery store coffee. I like Starbucks, too. But what I'm saying is God gives everyone resources and the way you manage it and how you pass that test is always up to you. Amen? It's good preaching already, isn't it? Some of you are like, oh my goodness, what kind of church did I come into? I knew I go to church, they talk about money. Well, your boss talks about money. You talk about money. The government talks about taking your money anyway, right? The TV wants your money, right? The restaurant wants your money. So it's just God wants to have, give you money so you're a good resource with it. Amen? Okay, so, so the prosperity test, every one of us will take it. We will, we will be tested in everything. As long as we're on this earth, we'll be tested. Okay? We need food, we need shelter, and we need raiment, or we need clothing. And if you think you're so spiritual that you don't need any of that, try going without clothes and food for a while. Let me know how that works out, okay? When, when they put you in jail, you know, or you're... So don't be super spiritual. I don't need things. Uh, you know what? I like things. And that's the problem. Because I can get caught up into things too much. And it's about people. It's about what God wants to do. Amen? So the second thing, letter B, money is a medium. Money is a medium God uses in order to further His purposes on earth. Did you know that? Money is a medium God will use. He uses people. He uses His Spirit. But He can use resources to take care of people. He can do that. Do you agree with that? Turn now to Genesis 41. Genesis 41. Okay? Genesis 41. Genesis 41, verses 25 through 32. Genesis 41, 25 through 32. Let me find it myself here. Genesis 41, then 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, are, 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 the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of, of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all, then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. Let's see, verse 32. Let me go to 32. 31, the abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Okay, so first God warns Pharaoh there's going to be a famine. Seven years are good, seven years are bad. Get ready, okay? 
Did you know that God speaks to our government systems? Constantly. He's telling our government systems how to be good stewards. But guess what? They don't always listen. He is talking to you about how to take care of your family in many years to come. But guess what? We're not always listening, are we? Because the world is trying to tell us how to live our lives, right? Okay? So let's move on. The, then let's pick it up in 33. Go to verse 33. Genesis 41, 33-36. And, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and let him, let put, put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the, the country may not be ruined by the famine. Okay, so God was speaking to them and he said, here's the plan, store up food, okay? God uses resources to take care of people. Do you understand this? God gives you money to take care of yourself, your family, the church, and the world. Do you understand this? It's a, it's a vessel that God can use. God can use you physically. You can speak a word to someone. You can lift someone's box and help them. You can take them to the hospital. But also God can use the money He pours into your life to pour into other resources. Did you know that? He can help government systems feed their people if they will listen. He can tell the government systems there's going to be some famines, there's going to be some trouble coming up, but they are rarely listening. And the problem is the church is also rarely listening because we get consumed by life, right? I mean, life is consuming, true? Are you following me? So let her see then. God is looking for wise stewards to flow blessings through. So, so God tells Joseph, set up these stewards and set up these officers of, uh, of Pharaoh's uh, government and do this. So, so he gives them a plan. And then he says, now I'm looking for some people. And he knew that he could do this with, with Joseph because Joseph was ready. Joseph understood stewardship. Remember, Joseph passed the test of, of working in Potiphar's house. He passed the, the test of being in the pit. He passed the pride test. He passed the prison test. He, he passed all these tests and he was a good steward. In fact, when he was in Potiphar's house, he prospered Potiphar's house. So he understood how to handle money, right? He was in the prison. He understood how to handle people. So God said, okay, Joseph understands people and money, therefore I'm going to put him in a place where he can bless the nations. You think you go to your job because the government wants your taxes. You think you go to your job just to pay your bills. Wrong. God has put you there to learn how to manage people and resources. Because you're going to be a judge in the end, but also in this earth, God is putting you into a place to help people out all through their lives. Do you see this? Amen? You have a great plan for your life, and so you need to be ready. You need to be ready to be a good steward, okay? God knew that seven years of famine were coming, and He warned the people. He warned the government. He said, I have a plan. What a loving God, amen? Did you know God has a plan to save every government in the world? God has a plan to rescue every starving child, every, every, mis every abused child. God has a plan to save every one of them. But the problem is, is we don't listen to the plan. We get caught up. We're like, well, Matt, well, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Why can't it work? If it's from God, it will work. Amen? God is a loving God. He has a plan to rescue every nation. And that plan is to run through you and I. That we will save you. Well, Pastor, I'm not Joseph. I'm not Daniel. I'm not those people. No, you are who you are for such a time as this. Don't get caught up into the rat race of this world. You count. And you're going to count to help other people. Amen? 
You see, here go letter D, let me move on. Letter D, everyone has financial resources to manage. Well, pastor, you, you don't get it. I have no money. What can I do? I'm always broke. How can I take the prosperity test? You take the prosperity test every time you get a paycheck. You take the prosperity test. Let's say, let's say for those of us that say, well, Pastor, I don't have a job. I, I just get welfare. Well, then you're still getting a paycheck from the government. The citizens are paying you. And if you're a good steward of that, then God will help you graduate to next, the next level. Do you understand what I'm saying? Amen? Check this out. Some of us don't like this concept. Jesus, check this out. Everyone thinks Jesus was loving. Hey, just go and do what you want. Hey, bless you. Yeah, that's great. Go ahead. But do you know what? Jesus in the temple, he was watching how people were giving. Check this out. Mark chapter 12. Do I have it? Check this out. Is it there? Hit the next slide. Write this down. Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the... What? You mean Jesus was watching people give offerings? Yes, he was. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I will tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. You see, when the offering plate watch goes by, guess who's watching? Not Pastor Stan. Jesus. When you get that paycheck, God is saying, how are you going to do with that? Are you going to take care of my church? Are you going to take care of your family? Are you going to take care of yourself? Are you, going to, are you just going to blow it? Or has the world already told you what you owe and how you're going to pay for everything? God wants you free, amen? This is good preaching, amen? You see, every one of us have to learn how to handle the resources God gives us. So number two, you take the prosperity test every day. Say every day. You take the prosperity test every day. The United States of America, we're not the most prosperous nation, but we're one of the most prosperous nations. Okay? We are one of the most prosperous nations of the world. Americans have materially more than four out of five people globally. Okay? If you live in the United States... You take the prosperity test every day. In fact, the average household, the average household in America makes, takes in $48,820. Now, so for some of you, that's more than what you make. For some of you, that's just pennies of what you make. Okay? This is the, the um, gross national income. This is taken by the World Bank, and I didn't just make these numbers up. I have a report right here. So if you want to see the report after we're done, and you want to take it, or you can go to the we website, and you can find the World Bank, and just put GNI per capita, and this will come up. Okay, so, so the average household, let's just, let's just realize how blessed we are. The average household in the United States averages $48,820, okay? Now let's look at some other countries, okay? Now look, here you go, hit the next slide. If you're in Norway, you're doing better than the United States. Did you know that? There are about five or six countries that are actually higher than the United States per, per, per capital income. Now if you look at Germany, and man, I love German food, by the way. Mmm, I, I love any food. All right, getting hungry yet? So look at Germany, Finland, Saudi Arabia, Mexico. Now look, once you go past Mexico, look at, there's other nations too, but look, look at the delineation now. This is, this is per year income, okay? Peru, China, 
India, Nigeria, look at Malawi, 870. Look at Niger, country of Niger, and then look at Eritrea. There, there's probably, I think there was one other country that had that $300 a year. Okay? You think you have it rough. You try living on $580 a year. You think you have it rough. You try to live on what Nigerians live on, $2,200 a year. Now, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying we live in a prosperous land. Amen? I mean, I mean, in America, we pray for things people in the world would never dream about. Come on, amen? I mean, we're praying, God, I need a new pair of shoes. I need, I need, bigger, I need a bigger house. I need, I need new clothes. They're praying, God, I need a bicycle so I can go to work, so I can feed my family, so we can survive today. Oh, God, I need this, I need that. And there's nothing wrong with things. I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't let the things own your life. Amen? You see, we, we live in this great land... And there are other nations that are just as prosperous, but unfortunately, some of us do not understand how prosperous we are. I mean, only in America, maybe other countries, can you go down to the grocery store and there are, there's a whole row just to your pets. Come on, right? There, and there are people that are starving. They'd say, I would even take the pet food and eat that. So just consider yourself very blessed and very prosperous. Amen? Letter B, we're blinded by the prosperity bubble. You see, we take for granted hospitals, restaurants, police, fire, shopping malls. We take that all for granted. We complain about it, right? You complain about it when your food comes out and you ask for no mustard and they put mustard on it, right? When the food comes out like 0.05 degrees less than what you want, you're like, take it back! And, and there are people saying, I'll eat that. I could feed my whole family on that one plate. You see how we live in America? Am I making you feel bad? I'm not trying to. I'm just wanting to say, look how blessed and prosperous you are. Amen? And we are living the, the prosperity test every day. And every one of us will be tested by what we use and what we, we are given by God, whether it's little or a lot. So here it is, letter C, is where is your heart? Matthew 6, 21, it says, where your treasure is, there also is your heart. In other words, your money will always be tied to your heart. God is very interested in your heart. 1 Samuel 16, 17 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider the appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at these things uh, man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. God is looking to see if our hearts belong to him. Who has first place in your heart? Is it God? Is it money? Is it your job? Is it people? Is it sports? Is it something else? Does money control you or does God control your hearts? Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, Pastor Stan, you're talking about money. God wants to give you money to be a good steward. Amen? So let's talk about this. Let me talk about this just for a few moments. I'm going I'm to zip through a little bit here. Number three is let God be first. Let God be first. Proverbs 3, 9-10 through 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Pastor, I don't have a barn. I don't have a vat. In other words, God says, if you honor me with your first fruits, when that paycheck comes in, that first check you write is to me, your checking account, your savings account, your retirement account, your clothes, your car will be blessed. But if you don't do that, 
Peril might come. Those things might wear out. You might run out of money. See, finances are just one way we honor God. It's not all about finances, but God blesses. When you give the tithe which belongs to Him, He will take care of the rest of your life. Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, and He will take care of you is what it says. Okay? So we should give our fruits. There was a pastor who I loved. His name is Robert Morris. He, he wrote the book, The Blessed Life. And he said the first check he writes, the very first check, as soon as he gets paid, he writes a check out to the church for tithe. Not the second church check, not the third check, not the last check after he's paid all the bills, the first check. That takes faith, doesn't it? All of us have struggled with that. Some of you are still struggling with that. Well, I got these things, I got these things. I, you don't understand, Pastor. You don't live like me. Maybe not, maybe I do. But God must be first, because it then says, your barns will be filled and your vats will be overflowing. This is scripture. This is not Pastor Stan. I don't have a, a retirement home. I don't have a jet. Yes, I do drive a 2006 Volvo. Okay, we got it used. It costs less than our last car. Just if you're wondering. Okay, if you're not, then cool. Finances are just one way that we bless the Lord. God wants your heart. Let her be not your stuff. Amen? Obviously, Joseph honored God and let him be first. I don't have time, but Genesis 41, 50-52, he named his first two sons. He said first son is, is, is Manasseh, who means God has made me forget, and then the second is Ephraim, that God has prospered me. So in, in the Old Testament days, their first child was given to the Lord. This child belongs to you. The first lamb, the first shock of wheat, the first corn, the first whatever they produced. They would give it. Say, this belongs to you, God. The first fruits belong to God. So Joseph said, God, here are my first two children. Not 10%, but here's the first 20%. So God had Joseph's heart. Let her see. Here it is. The tithe belongs to the Lord. Leviticus says this. 27. A tithe of everything from the Lord, whether from grain, from the soil, or fruit from the tree, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Ah, I got you, Pastor. It didn't say paycheck. It didn't say cash. It didn't say... No, but... We're not an agrarian society today. But what you use financially is how God will bless you. The tithe belongs to God, it says. It belongs to Him. It's not even yours. I know you don't hear this, and I know some of you get offended and mad, then you need to take it up with God, okay? God wants to bless you. This is one of the ways that He does that. So the, the tithe belongs to God. It's His, okay? The tithe is the first part. It belongs to Him. God gives you so much. Then, in Malachi 3, 8-10, it says this, if, if you rob from him, will a man rob of God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, the whole 10%, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields <clears throat> Excuse me, will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. God says, test me. Test me, I will take care of you. Amen? Come on, the God that created the universe, don't you know that He wants to take care of you? He's just saying, give me the tens and I will just bless you beyond all measure. Trust me. Trust me, it works. We can claim that God is first, but your checkbook tells you who's first in your life. Wow, right? Letter D, I'll move on. Giving is an expression of love. Tithing and giving are just merely expressions of love towards God. Saying, God, I honor you because you give me way to make money. You've put food on my table. You give me this raise or whatever I have. I want to just give 
a tithe and an offering to bless you by. Okay? Number four, good things come. How many of you know that saying? Good things come for those who, to those who... What? It's hard to wait, isn't it? We don't like to wait anymore, do we? The importance of waiting. For the seven years of abundance, Joseph made Egypt store up for the famine. Can you imagine? They were seeing... They were seeing bumper crops. I mean, they were just seeing, It's like if you're a salesman or you're a realtor or something like that. Let's say you sold every car off your lot and you had to borrow And you just kept selling. Where every house that you had on stock, you sold. Or every software, every, every client was like, we want more. We, we gotta, we're going to pay you. And they just kept piling up and buying everything. You're like, wow. Now the temptation would be, you know what? we got these products. Let's go sell them to other people. And God says, no, don't sell it. I'll put it away because there's going to be some tough times ahead. But you see, in America, we, don't, we, we have a hard time with that, don't we? Yeah, hallelujah. I'm going to buy something. I'm going to spend it all. And then what happens when the famine comes? Oh my God. He said, I told you. Put it aside. You see, we don't like to wait. God told Joseph, put it aside. Put it aside. Wait. Be patient. The Egyptians could have sold all of that and became rich, but did you know all the money in the world can't feed you when there's no food? Amen? Good things come to those who wait. Here, letter B, and I've got to say it. Beware of financial shortcuts. Now, you might have a shortcut driving to the church. That's different than financial shortcuts. Here's what the Scripture says. A faithful man will rich, be richly blessed, but one who is eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Let me read it to you out of, the, out of the message. I love this. Committed and persistent work pays off. Get rich schemes are rip-offs. If you realize this, the only person getting rich is the money you're handing to that person. Pyramid schemes don't work. If you're in a pyramid scheme and you're offended, please stop ripping people off. Did I just say that? Yes, I did. <laughs> because the only people that are rich are the people at the top of the pyramid. And all of the bottom are like handing over their hard-earned money and they're not getting it. Same thing with the lottery. You better stop wasting your money on the lottery. That's a foolish use of God's money. Amen. Put the money in the bank. Let the interest grow over time. Leave it there. Amen. Everyone, almost everyone who gets the lottery either gets killed or they lose everything within the first few years and they go back to living in poverty. Get rich schemes never work. Amen. In the, as a Christian, it's sad. Too many churches and Christians fall into this every day. Oh, I will be blessed. I can bless and I can help the church. But the problem is, it doesn't always work out that way. It can, but I, I've never met anyone that's worked out for. Okay? So when it comes to wealth, the Bible teaches us to wait. Put it aside. The farmer has to wait when he plants the seed, right? He plants the seed and it doesn't come up tomorrow. It doesn't have a full crop. He has to wait. Working hard pays off, young people. Right? Like, well, I don't have the latest iPhone. Mom and Dad, meh, meh. Mom and Dad worked for that stuff. I don't have the latest shoes. I mean, I was I was the third son, and I would get the hand-me-downs, patches. Sometimes the shoes were a little bigger than me. Of course, I was sometimes bigger than the clothes because I was a little bit bigger than my brothers. They're thin, and I was a little bigger. I was probably a little bigger right here, actually. And so, so you know, we always if it's not new, it's worthless. That's not always true, right? Be happy with what you got. Okay, let me move on. Number five, can you afford it? Can you afford it? Joseph had a plan in advance. 
He tells him, set aside these commissioners, set aside food. Joseph didn't just take a guess. He had a plan in advance that involved specific amounts of accounting and people. God's people should have a very specific plan for every area of your life. Finances, your spiritual growth, your friends, you should have plans. How can I grow in all these areas of my life? Amen? Including your finances, including your relationships, have a, have a plan. A budget, listen, a budget can help you define where your money goes. In fact, letter B, a budget helps you know where your money goes. If, if, if you can live beyond your means for a short time, but then all of a sudden you start getting those phone calls, don't you? This is ABC Credit Company, right? You've maxed it out. You owe us money, but I don't have any money. It was sure was fun spending it the first time, wasn't it? Here, charge it, charge it, charge it, charge it, right? The budget says, you know what? You only make this much money, so you can't overspend. Emergencies come. I understand that. Stuff like that happens. But a budget will help you stop buying compulsively and without feelings. Can you imagine if, if the mortgage company says, hey, I, I feel like paying you, but I can't. What are they going to say? Too bad. Right? You can't pay your house payment or your rent with feelings or emotions, right? Financial management isn't a question about feelings. It's, a, it's math. Either you have it or you don't, right? So let's move on. Number six, let me move on. I'm going to go through this because I have a couple things at the end I want to talk about. Change your life, make a budget. Change your life, make a budget. Now, we have three of these, and, and I don't want you fighting over these, and, and I want you to have one of these if, if you desperately need it. If not, you can get yourself. Dave Ramsey has a thing called Financial Peace University. Our church goes through it every once in a while. I have three of the Financial Peace University packets. There's his book, uh, Money Makeover. There's CDs for teachings. There's some, some budget forms. And, there, and so there's some things to help you get control of your finances. If you've never done Dave Ramsey's class... Please don't just take this and set it on your shelf. You've got to read this thing. You've got to listen to it and you've got to put it into practice. If you want to get out of debt and you want to go forward. So if you want a budget, I have three of these up here for free. They're for you. If you want one of these, don't fight for them. If you absolutely can't afford one, you, don't want, you want one, maybe the church can help you get something else to, to at least get the book. But you can get the book online, okay? But here we go. Change your life, make a budget. It helps you see things more clearly and objectively. How do you know that in a marriage, if you're married or have been married, money can be a point of what? Contention. Because what you, oftentimes in a family, you have a saver and a spender. The saver says, no, we've got to put it in. The spender's like, well, why? we got the money. We, got, we, can, pay, we can just, no, no. The spender's like, let's just spend money. The, the saver's like, we can't. We've got to pay the bills. Then for, you've got to get a budget. You need to call him Mr. Budget or Miss Budget. I don't care what you name it, okay? We're, we're, anyone, or budget dude or budget chick. I don't care what you call it. But the budget will help you take away fighting. In your, if you're single, then call it the budget. You know, whatever. you. I don't care what you call it. But get yourself into a budget, okay? So, so the second part of this, the budget says it, it makes you examine and clarify your values and priorities. A budget helps you say, do I really need this or do I want this? Right? Amen? Letter C, it provides a basis of discussion and agreement. The budget, again, will help bring unity in a relationship, in a marriage, in a family. A budget can help you get your feet on solid ground. Letter D, it provides a basis for accountability. Again, Mr. Budget tells you what you can spend. Okay? So then the husband and wife aren't mad at each other. You can just say, hey, Mr. Budget says we get X amount of dollars and X amount goes to this, this, this. Sorry, you don't, it's not me. Talk to Mr. Budget. You see how easy that is? Isn't that awesome? I just brought you like years of counseling free marriage. 
by just saying Mr. Budget or Mrs. Budget or Miss Budget or Budget Chick, Budget, whatever, the budget. Just say, hey, the budget says we can do this. The budget says we can't do this. Awesome, right? Wow, you're, this is free. You didn't have to pay for this. Okay? It helps you live within your means. A budget provides clear, impartial numbers. A budget, listen, a budget will reveal the lifestyle your income can realistically support. Many could greatly reduce stress in their lives if they would downsize their lifestyle to their budget. Wow, that's good preaching. Many, I'm going to repeat it again because it's good. Many would greatly dis- reduce stress in, the lives, in their lives if they would downsize their lifestyle to fit their budget, their income. Letter F, it helps you live without debt. Debt robs you of joy. Say that, debt robs me of joy. God doesn't want you living in debt. God doesn't want you financially strapped. God has wired us to be patient, to be content. And every time we borrow... And every time we borrow when we want something, we're not having hope for the future now. Because now we're financially strapped. I'm not here to make you feel guilty because all of us go through debt. Some of us are still paying it off. But God says, in fact, Dave Ramsey even says, get mad at debt. Get mad. If you've ever read his book or gone through his class, he talks about getting mad at debt. There's, there's a couple things. I'm going to give you some secrets that he talks about. The first in, in his, budget, his budget book is, is make an emergency fund. Make your goal of having a $1,000 emergency fund. Now, that's a lot of money. But over time, if you build into it, then when the car breaks down or something happens, you have an emergency fund. Also, he has what's called the debt snowball, where you, you, you work on your debt and you, you take your highest debt first, you pay the minimum amount of every, every credit card or every debt you have, and then any extra, you start paying it towards the, actually the lowest. You pay it to the lowest debt first. And after you start paying that lowest debt, then you take that money plus the payment you're paying to your second debt and you start paying it on that debt. It's called the snowball. And you just keep doing that until all your debt's wiped away. If you want more about that, go to Financial Peace University, get the book, whatever, okay? Letter G, a budget helps build character and discipline in your life. A budget helps you set up numbers and ask you to live within those numbers, okay? It will help you. It will build discipline. Instead of saying, I need to have it now. i got to have it now. So, you know, do I, do I really need this right now? Can I live another month without this? Can I survive another week without this? I'm getting a little stuffy up here. Sorry, because I'm sitting and preaching. You guys are sitting there enjoying the message. Amen? Some of you are like, yeah, all right, get on, Pastor Stan. Okay, I will. Number seven, live below your means. Live below your needs. God never intended, listen, God never intended your life to be dictated by what others are driving or wearing. That's good preaching, isn't it? You had to come to church to hear that for free. Because listen, you're not going to stand before your neighbor in heaven. They're not going to judge you. They might laugh at you. They might look down on you. Oh, you shop at that store? Oh my goodness. Oh, you wear that kind of clothes? Oh no. My kids only wear these kind of clothes. My kids go to camp ABC. Oh, your kids go to, don't even go to camp? Oh, we, we can't associate with you. Who cares? Amen? They're shallow if that's the way they see you. Now, that's great if they have that stuff and they want to do That's good. But if you can't afford it, then stop trying to live like they're telling you to live. Amen? That's good preaching, right? See, too many in this area, as I said, too many in this area don't have the income to support the lifestyles they're trying to live. Stop fooling yourself. Stop trying to be like everyone else. Be who God made you to be. And then, I don't want to, well, I'm not going to say that. 
you'll have the last laugh. When over the time, when you've saved and you've invested and you've been a good student and God begins to pour blessing in your life, then you'll say, wow, look what God has done now. Because I wasn't trying to live like the world. I was trying to live what God wanted me to live like. Amen? Because God gives you money to be a resource to your family, your friends, your church, and the world system. In fact, 1 Timothy, I've got to read this. We're getting down to the end. 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-10, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen to this. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptations and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For, listen, it doesn't say money, but it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, many people say money is the root of all. No, it's the love of money. I know some very wealthy, godly people. I mean, they have more money than you can imagine, but they don't live this certain kind of lifestyle. They have a good heart and they give a lot. And I mean, I've known some people, they drive three or four cars, have nice homes and travel all the time, but they are giving all the time to different things. You can have that. But the Bible says be prepared because if your heart wants to be rich, you're going to fall into a lot of trouble. The love of money is the root of all evil. Do you see that? So contentment, it says in Scripture, contentment is great gain. God says if you have food and clothing, you should be content. Right? Even if you have to eat a Taco Bell, you should be content. Pastor Dave loves Taco Bell. Or, or whatever you have to eat, be content. Amen? Oh, we eat his rice. Man, I, in my house, growing up, that was a staple. Koreans, we have rice with every meal. Man, oh, praise God. Some of you are like, I'm so sick of rice. I'll give it to you, Pastor. Great, because I eat rice a lot. Love it. Oh, we got chicken again. But then give it to me, I'll eat it. Oh, yeah. Just be content with what you have. Amen? Believers need to be content with what you have, where you're at, and say, God, let me just be blessed and be a blessing to those around me. Amen? And if you don't want your steak, send it my way. I'm an equal opportunity eater. You got some couscous? I don't care. You, you got some, whatever, send it to me. Chickpeas? I'll eat it all, man. Non? Send it your, come on. Yogurt? Okay, good. Kimchi? Yeah. All right, I'm moving on. Let us quit goofing around. Let us see. Greediness will rob us of contentment. Greediness will rob us. The world is teaching us to be greedy, right? In fact, as kids, we already know, as little kids, what's the, one of the first things you say when you grab a toy? Mine. You've got to fight that. Say, no. Yes, I can have it, but it's not just for me. Greed is never satisfied. The love of money will tell you food and clothing is not enough. Greed will push you to buy things you don't need. God wants you to be content with everything He's poured out. In fact, the Bible says, I will give you more. Just be a good steward. Have the right heart. Amen? Okay? Don't be deceived. Let me move on. Letter eight, Number 8. Don't be deceived. Mark 4, 18-19 says this. Mark 4, 18-19. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, yes, riches can be deceitful. I'm not against you having nice things. I'm, I don't, God bless you, because you're not going to stand before me. 
But if your whole desire is just to keep getting nice things and you're forgetting about your church, you're forgetting about your family, you're forgetting about your neighbors, you're forgetting about the world around you, then you're going to stand before God. And it says here, in fact, it's sad, it says, many have abandoned, in the last two scriptures I told you, in 1 Timothy 6 and Mark 4, it says many have abandoned the faith because they wanted to get rich. My heart breaks as a pastor. Or I've seen people, even in this church, it breaks my heart. In all the churches I've worked in, and the two churches I've seen in your past, it breaks my heart. I've seen people come in looking for God. They're, they're broke or they're just barely making it. And then we pray for them. Oh God, provide them finances. Let them pay their bills. Bless them, Lord. Help them. And they start getting a job. And they start getting on their feet. And then they start getting promotions. And then guess what? I begin to see them less and less. Hey, what's going on? Hey, I'm just busy. Why? I'm just working. I said, man, you shouldn't work every weekend. You've got to take a break. I know, but man, things are good right now. And then they're like, hey, we're on vacation. Hey, we've got to buy this new thing. And then eventually they just kind of wander away from the faith. And I've seen it even in this church where God begins to bless them and bless the, the fruit of their hands and they, they begin to learn how to make money and then the money becomes their God. And the Bible says, what will it profit a person to gain the whole world but yet lose their soul? Is it worth it? Because see, riches can be deceitful. They're not always deceitful, but they can be deceitful. Take care. Let the Word of God, I talked about this this morning, the parable of the stewards, that the, the worries of the world choked out the Word of God. When we preach the Word of God, are you sitting there worried about how am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to do this project? How am I going to send my kids this? How am I going to do that? You are choking out the Word of God. Stop it. Take a break. Your business can take care of itself. You need to take one day, at least one day, and say, God, I need to focus on you. Amen? God created a Sabbath for a reason, for you to take a break. He created worship so you could hear from Him and be blessed by Him. Amen? Letter B. If you cannot, if you and I cannot manage worldly wealth, how can we manage our divine destiny? I, I, this scripture is amazing. I'm going to read it to you again. Luke 16, 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little can also be, will be dishonest with much. So if you, if you have not been trustworthy in, in handling worldly wealth, who will give you true riches? Do you see that? Worldly wealth is not true riches. Get that in your spirit. Then it says, if, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? In other words, if you're always bad-mouthing your boss, if you're always trashing his equipment, God's not going to see fit to give you your own business. And if he does, guess what's going to happen? Your employee is going to do the same thing you did. When the government gives you a computer or whatever, whatever, the government gives me nothing. Man. Well, whoever gives you something, you better be a good steward of that. Amen? And let, say, this, I've got to take care of this. This is a God-given gift. I've got to be a good steward of this. And you have a co-worker who says, I don't care about that. Come on, man. No, you say, that's fine if you don't care, but I care. Come on, let's blow off our... No, let's just trash this stuff. No, I'm not going to trash this stuff. This is important. Because if you cannot be a good steward of the little things God gives you, why do you think He will, he will make you a steward of big things if you can't handle the small things? Amen? If you cannot manage worldly health, how can you ima imagine even handling the divine destiny God has for your life? You see, because every one of you are going to be a Joseph to a group of people, one person, or to nations. And instead of you getting caught up in the American selfish dream, saying, I need more, I want more, I deserve more, what's wrong with this world? You need to start saying, man, God, you have blessed me so much. 
I have so much. I've been given so much responsibility. I want to be a good steward of all these things. Because some of you have come from those countries where you're just fighting to live every day. Some of you have come from those countries. I mean, I, in fact, I, I, I mean, I'll tell you my stats. I, I don't like hot dogs that much today, and I don't like ramen noodles, because in college I ate ramen noodles all the time. And hot dogs. My, my mom and dad, when they were, my dad was laid off from a job for months at times, we would eat hot dogs. I mean, we had hot dogs and macaroni and cheese, hot dogs and rice, baked hot dogs, fried hot dogs, hot dogs. I mean, it, we had all this stuff, and so like, I don't like hot dogs that much, and I don't like ramen noodles. Now, if you serve that to me, I'll eat it gladly. Okay? But I'm content with everything God gives me. When the world tells you not, say, that's fine, you can live like that, but I want to be content. Would you stand with me this morning? You see, God gives us everything that we need. Say that. God gives us everything we need. And the question is, what are you doing with those things? You may have little, you may have a little bit, you might have a lot. But every one of us are going to be held accountable to God for what we did and did not do with that stuff. And I'm telling you, church, just as it was said to us this morning, there's going to be a shaking going on in our world. There, if you haven't realized, shaking is happening right now. It's happening. And you've got to get your feet on the solid ground because God will always take care. The Bible says, my God shall supply your every need.